0: Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Docs Talk Story, where we share the journeys, accomplishments, typical day, and some advice for medical students from our doctors here in Hawaii. We hope that this podcast will serve as a source of inspiration for you as you navigate the wide range of specialties that the medical field has to offer, and as well as just share in some of the joys and accomplishments of our incredible doctors here in the islands. My name is Enze, and I will be your host for today. Thanks so much for tuning in. And before we jump into this episode and introduce our guests, I just want to let you guys know of some big news in our podcast. We're so excited to share this with you at the very end of our segment here today, uh, but we just wanted to take this time and say thank you for all of your support over the past two months. We couldn't have done any of it without you, and we just really, really hope that our stories and our in, our conversations with these doctors have been inspiring to you and just been able to help you along with your medical school journey. So without further ado, uh, allow me to introduce our guest today. On today's episode, we have Dr. Corey Liao, a neurologist at Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience. Dr. Liao has an incredible story um, that starts with his medical school at St. George's University School of Medicine uh, in the Grenada in the West Indies. And then he went on to complete his residency in neurology at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City. And finally, he completed a fellowship in clinical neurophysiology and clinical research with the NIH in Maryland. And he founded Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience in 2009 and has been practicing here ever since. Dr. Liao is also currently the Chief of Staff Elect at Adventist Health Castle, and he is the CEO and founder of Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience. So let's welcome Dr. Liao to the show, and thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Liao. So just to start, can you tell us a little bit about your journey? How did you get to where you are today, and kind of what your path was like up until this point?
1: Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, I was born in Penang uh, Island, Malaysia. I grew up in Singapore, and um, I went to medical school at St. George's uh, in Grenada. Uh, it was very random. While I was a high school student in Singapore, one, my mother, who was an English teacher, one day came to me with a newspaper ad. It was before the day of uh, computers, and uh, she said, hey, apply for this uh, scholarship to go to Grenada. And it was a Ronald Reagan scholarship. Uh, and I applied just for fun. I applied for it and uh, I got it. And uh, I was like, sort of regret that now I really have to leave Singapore, but, uh, but I'm glad I did, uh, took the opportunity. Um, the, so I went to St. George's University in Grenada and did two years there and then two years of clinical rotation in New Jersey, New York. I did my residency in neurology in Utah, uh, University of Utah, Salt Lake City, Um, so that's where uh, my journey into neurology was. Mm -hmm.
0: So what made you decide on neurology as a specialist? Um, When I was in medical school,
1: uh, one of the things that I realized was I was... uh, uh, I was I somehow I had a knack for uh, figuring things out, complex things. For example, the Krebs cycle in biochemistry. So the professor, uh, this is before the days of PowerPoint and, and we're just all taking notes on the paper. The professor was explaining the Krebs cycle on the, the board and uh, somehow I realized that I have the knack of drawing out the whole thing, visualizing and understanding the whole thing and everybody else was coming to my site and copying my notes and wow. borrowing my notes, you know. Uh, I realized that I have the knack of taking very complex problem and figuring it out. Uh, that's one thing, but the other thing that I realized was that because I figured that everybody was borrowing my notes, I became very tired of them borrowing my notes and don't know who has it. So I began a business, uh, a notes service business, and I started wow. charging them $10 per, per note. I After class, I I had somebody transcribe my note, and I started selling them. So uh, I I discovered not only was I good in neurology, I was good in business, too. (laughs) You
0: did all this in medical school?
1: In medical school, yes.
0: That's cool. So um, did you consider any other specialties along the way other than neurology?
1: No. Okay. just neurology. Yeah,
0: you were pretty focused on neurology when you went into medical school?
1: Very, very, Okay. Yeah, that was my passion, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the training pathway um, for a student that wants to go into neurology?
1: Yeah, so to do neurology, you have to do one year of internal medicine first, uh, and then three years of basic neurology training, you know. Uh, some neurologists do a full three years of medicine and then do neurology as a fellowship. You know, but most neurology do one year of medicine and then three years of neurology. But about I would say about 80 percent of neurologists end up subspecializing after neurology residency into different specialty: uh, stroke, um, MS, Parkinson's, epilepsy, what have you. So I would say majority of neurology residents, uh, at least these days, you know, uh, subspecialize, mm-hmm. and that could be another uh, two to three years. You know, so for my fellowship, I did uh, three years of fellowship, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And how many years is the residency program?
1: Residency is four years. Okay. So four years of neurology residency and, uh, you know, two to three years of fellowship. So mm-hmm. could be up to seven years, you know, but the shortest would be four years, Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So what's a, t- a typical day in your life as a neurologist? So uh,
1: I really don't have... I really don't have a typical day, per se, but uh, because I spend majority of my time in research, mm-hmm. and say, um, so I spend about 80% of my time in uh, clinical research taking care of patients. Uh, I only spend about 20% of my time in clinical care, but in a typical neurologist, like uh, the neurologist that we have here, um, so they would start the day at uh, 8.30. Um, you know, Most neurologists would do some kind of outpatient longitudinal care, you know, uh and finish the day at four to five, you know, they would see maybe about fifteen to twenty patients, outpatient. Um some neurologists could actually go into neuro hospitals mm-hmm. then totally inpatient, you know, uh and then they would work for three weeks and then take one week off or two weeks and two weeks off. Uh but most neurologists like our group, our neurologists we do a, a com- combination, a mix of both. Um, we do outpatient and then each one of us take one week of call per month. You know, uh, I do take one week of call because I ask my neurologist to take call. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to do call myself too. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, but we really, really have a good group. We cover each other very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. fortunately. Yeah.
0: yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your practice here at Hawaii Pacific neuroscience. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned you do a lot of research. Can you talk to the listeners a little bit about what kind of research you do here? Yeah,
1: so we are uh, um, we're really excited and uh, say because when I came here, um, uh, you know, would, I, I was uh, there was um, not much of opportunities. You know, I was told that uh, it's difficult to get things started, but fortunately, um, I was uh, I was able to surround myself with good people, and I was I was I had some lucky breaks and. Was able to bring uh, research uh, clinical trials. So we do all the way from phase zero to to phase one, two, and three, and four uh, research clinical trials. Uh, We are actively doing about 25 plus trials right now, uh, all the way from Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, MS, seizures. Um, You know, so uh, it's um, you know, we, we, we draw patients from uh, almost all islands, you know, so we're very, very excited and very, very fortunate to be able to offer that to, to our community, to our island state, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And what's it like to be a physician and a researcher at the same time? Uh, how do you balance that in your work? Good question.
1: Um, I would say that uh, it's, it's research is... Being a clinician researcher is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really does take uh, a certain amount of uh, passion and dedication. You know, um, I have to say that um, the uh, it 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 really takes um, a special kind of physicians to do that, um, and and obviously you know uh, it it takes investment of time and training and um, but it's exciting because you're on the forefront of science. We get to work with people from around the world. Uh, we get to be involved in really exciting projects. Um, you know, for example, today uh, we had a patient, uh, Hawaii patient, become the sixth patient in the world to get tested on Pausifan, which is a drug made at NIH. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, that most of the clinical trials for Alzheimer's. Uh, Uh, have failed because they are focused on either the anti-amyloid pathway or the anti-tau pathway. This is the first time that a drug is a molecule, posifen is a molecule developed by uh, NIH and is the first um, uh, molecule that is working on multiple mechanistic pathway, anti-amyloid, anti-tau, and also anti-synuclein. Mm. Also, the first time that clinical trials is recruiting both Alzheimer's and Parkinson's patients, you know, early. So today, uh, we actually uh, re- screened the first patient in Hawaii, which is really the sixth patient in the world, you know, wow. to, to be in this clinical trial. Uh, we are. We're very, very fortunate. We Hawaii's about there's about twelve centers in the country is doing this trial. Hopkins, uh, Mayo, Stanford, Cleveland, uh, and we're one of the centers. So we, we're very, very uh, excited, you know, to wow. be on the forefront. So we get to do all of this exciting stuff. You know, uh, how can you not be uh, excited? Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, congratulations. That's super cool, and I think really inspiring to know that there's this kind of level of research here in Hawaii. Um, and that it really keeps up with the rest of the world. I think that's really cool. Um, Did you always have an interest in research uh, as a student in undergrad and in medical school? Did you always have a research background focus? You know, being a foreign medical
1: graduate, you know, uh, I I actually had very little opportunities for Hmm. research, Uh, so uh, opportunities for research, uh, finding mentors are very rare, you know, being a foreign medical graduate, so, um, when I was in second year uh, residency at University of Utah, um, I've been wanting to do research because I wanted to get into a competitive fellowship. Mm-hmm. So uh, nobody wanted me, <laughs> I was a foreign grad, and um, I, I'm not that great of a resident or that great of a student, you know, I, I didn't have like a great M, you know, I didn't even take the MCAT, you know, I didn't take the, uh, I don't even have an undergraduate degree, you know, I, I don't mm-hmm. have the credential, but there was a neurologist by the name of Dr. John Rose. Uh, He's an MS neurologist at the Salt Lake VA. So I approached him, after asking maybe like 10 neurologists, do you have research, can I join you, you know? I said, no, don't have, but Dr. John Rose gave me a chance. You know, he took me into his lab, uh, his red lab at the VA and said, you want to work on interleukin-4? I was like, yeah, I don't know what that is, you know? I said, "Uh, is, is this okay? you know take this rat, and blah, 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 blah. so that's how i started working at the red lab with dr john rose uh this is more than 25 years ago he gave me a chance you know so um because of that uh i was able to secure a competitive fellowship at nih you know um and even then i wasn't really that interested in research i wanted to go to nih because he was competitive uh and there were three other fellows besides myself. There was one fellow from John Hopkins and one fellow from Yale, and they're both MD-PhD. I was the only MD, foreign MD, you know, so. Uh, but it was at NIH that really solidified my love and passion for research. Um, I found out three things at NIH. Number one is that research could significantly change people's life. You know, uh, it mm-hmm. just transform people's life and transform the way medicine is done and i've seen it uh, at an amazing institution like NIH mm-hmm. the second thing that i saw at NIH was that um, how uh, when you organize a research program uh, how NIH do it is they will bring the best doctors and the best and they will fly patients from all over the world do the clinical center building 10 NIH and what an amazing um, amazing work when different specialists, different disciplines, the cardiologists working on the project and they share ideas with the neurologist and then they came up with a pacemaker for the brain. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, they're all, even the engineering people come in and they would give input on how to stimulate the brain and thus they came up with a deep brain stimulator. You know, so I, I saw that really opened my eyes and I saw how amazing research is when you bring the right people and right team together. The third thing that I, I was just really inspired, Mm -hmm. you know, at NIH, I met some amazing uh, research um, uh, physician scientists. Uh, I remember doing a clinic with Dr. Anthony Fauci, you know, at the uh, NIAID, Mm -hmm. and he was running the HIV clinic. This is in the 90s, and it was just amazing. He doesn't know me, by the way, (laughs) uh, but I know who he is. Even at that time, he Mm -hmm. he was the director of NIAID, and... That was quite an impact on my life, and I also remember sitting at Francis Collins' office, you know, uh, who's the director of NIH, because my fellow, mm-hmm. fellow who's from John Hopkins, made an appointment to see him. He was only the director of uh, NHGRI, the Human Genome Research Institute at that time. He wasn't the director, but he actually agreed to meet us, you know, two fellows from nowhere, you know, and because we said, well, we're Christian, Dr. Collins, we want to know how you became a scientist, you know. And so he actually met with us. I remember sitting in his office and he was just the most humble guy. You know, he didn't talk about anything but talk about, you know, how he likes to play guitar, you know, and and, and he talks about his faith, you know. So I was just, from that point onwards, I realized that I can be, a researcher, I can be scientifically rigor, and uh, and I can incorporate my faith into what I do. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just totally inspired by Dr. Collins, Francis Collins. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, just hearing that story from you inspires me too. I think, I mean, we, we all know that science drives medicine, but seeing it firsthand, you know, in this kind of research facility and seeing all the work that you do, and also just knowing that the work that you do can really impact a patient like you are saying with this um, patient today, you know, who's the first to receive that kind of treatment, you can see this research firsthand being so impactful in a, a patient's life and I think that's, that's super cool and really inspiring. Um, and so uh, we briefly touched on this about uh, research and having that um, being more competitive for an applicant. I'm wondering if you can talk a bit about how competitive neurology is as a residency and how important research is uh, or not important um, it is in the application process for a resident. Well, neurology is not that
1: competitive, thankfully, you know, uh, not as competitive as some as neurosurgery, for example, you know. Uh, but um, I always try to kind of guide the students, you know, uh, on not really pursuing... Um, you know, I pursued a a competitive fellowship training place, but uh, for example, this year we had 30 plus undergrad students doing summer research program here, and you know, I always try not to bias them. I know that they came here to do neuroscience research, but hey, if you have a love for geriatrics, go for geriatrics, you know. Um, I, I try not to bias them, but if you find yourself as a student liking to solve problems, you know and you you have a neck for solving taking a complex problem and unpeel it different layers and unpack it in a very succinct way and able to verbalize it. And That's what I realized when I was in medical school in the histology lab. You know, uh, I don't know if you guys do look at the microscope these days, you know, not anymore. Okay, so while we were doing looking at microscopes, we had to explain what the histology slides are, and I found myself uh, able to explain things and all the classmates would just l- left their microscope and come and listen to me and I realized that wait why am I teaching you you know uh, and I, I almost wanted to charge them for it too but <laughs> but I couldn't of course at that time uh, but you kind of have to have a neck for um, doing that and also you kind of have to love people you know have to care about people because neurology is about touching people's lives, you know, it's not about looking at a film, it's not about doing a procedures, you know, it's it's really about, um, you know, touching people at the point of life where they need you the most.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's the best and worst part of your job as a neurologist? Uh, the worst part
1: is meeting people really at the worst point in their life, mm-hmm. when they have a stroke, you know, uh, when... They have to accept the diagnosis of Alzheimer's when
0: mm-hmm. they
1: have to accept the diagnosis that they're gonna to have to take seizure medicine for the rest of their life you know they have to know about the brain tumor that they're gonna die soon mm-hmm. you know that's really the worst part of the job you know, um, uh, you know but the best part of my job is also meeting them at the worst point mm-hmm. in their life because I get to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. you
1: know they trusted me to do that. Mm-hmm. so I get to I get to be the person to, to be there for them in the great time of greatest need. you know mm-hmm. I get to explain and I get to you know uh, guide them. I get to it, it is such a privilege. Mm-hmm. It, 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 is, it is almost a sacred thing that they trusted me with, with that special moment and I get to tell their families, how are we gonna go through this together? Yeah, I, I get to do that, you know. Um, that's that is also the best part of my job. It, it is such a it's such a privilege for me to, mm-hmm. that we get to do it.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's almost as if you know we learn so much from our patients as much as they learn from yes. the provider. Yes. Yeah. Do you have any tips on dealing with that kind of grief that the patients have when they are at the worst part of their life and they come in? being so vulnerable and so weak and just how, how do you deal with that? Boy, that's a good
1: question. Um, it's always hard because no two cases are the same, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and you, the best thing that you can do is, you know, uh, we, we always want to deliver the message and move on and make sure we cover up this and that. Eh? But sometimes the best thing is to kind of just sit back and, just listen to them and just absorb learning about the family dynamics, you know, Um, and sometimes it's also okay to admit to them that um, there's nothing we can do Mm -hmm. when you have an Alzheimer's. It's okay to let them know we don't have a cure, you know, however, this is what we can do. I can look at some research option for you. So I I get to bring hope to them, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and this is going to get worse with time, unfortunately. But I'm going to walk through this with you. You know, uh, sometimes it's just uh, showing people that sometimes they don't even want information from you. Mm-hmm. They 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 just want to know that you care. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a saying that people don't really care how much you know mm-hmm. until they know how much you care. That is so mm-hmm. true in neurology. You know, mm-hmm. until. Until we learn that, you know, uh, that is really what's going to make a good neurologist. Until you can learn to show people that you care about them, you know, uh, before they really want to know how much you know. Mm -hmm.
0: Wow, yeah, that's really inspiring. And and I think that's really great advice for us as medical students who are just entering the medical field. And and I think dealing with grief for patients and also helping those patients in those times of need is... One of the fears that I have, um, because I think it's it's really hard, and and like you said, it's such a great privilege and, and almost a sacred thing, and just having that responsibility, I think is is frightening sometimes and overwhelming. But like you said, it's also such a great blessing. But then you know
1: what, Zenzei, But you know, once sometimes you feel like this is such a such a enormous case burden to take on. Mm-hmm. But once you get into it, you know, everything just flows. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I've never had, uh, um, you know, um, it is just amazing how sometimes I realize that I have the ability to make such an impact mm-hmm. on the family. I mean, it's I, I'm just another human being, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, it really does flow, you know, and, and sometimes there's really nothing we can do for them. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes if they're open to it, I actually ask to pray with them and um, they, they, they allow me to.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Um what are some of the most common diagnoses that you see in the neurology field is it is it a lot of it is it these kind of patients or do you have uh, other diagnoses that are a little bit better prognosis as well
1: yeah so it really depends on age group so for the young uh, we see a lot of concussion we see seizures we see uh, spinal cord injuries Uh, for the older patients we see a lot of stroke brain tumors, uh, and then obviously the neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, you know. uh, So it is really a variety. So, you know, in in a typical neurology clinic, you could see, uh, if you see 20 patients a typical day, you could potentially see 20 different diagnoses, you know. Mm -hmm. So that makes neurology so interesting too, you know, if you're a general neurologist, you know. So um, it really, it is really, to me, neurology is so fun. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, so interesting, you know. Uh, How can you not like neurology?
0: I always tell the second-year student,
1: how can you not like neurology? Yeah.
0: So you get to see all uh, age ranges, right, from kids to older adults? So
1: neurology residency split into adult and pediatric. okay. So Mm -hmm. if you go the pediatric route, uh, you do three years of pediatric residency, and then, I'm sorry, uh, three years, and then an additional two years of neurology residency, I believe is five years total, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so the adult neurologist, a lot of times, like myself, I limit myself to adult neurology patients. So uh, so it's kind of two separate pathways, the PEDS and adult neurology, yeah.
0: Okay, I see. Um, so I'm just gonna switch gears a little bit now and talk about work-life balance. Okay. Um, so we, we've talked about HPN and this private practice. Um, does having this private practice and your own business, in a sense, uh, provide a little bit better work-life balance for you as a neurologist?
1: Absolutely. Mm. I just love working for myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it is, yeah. Um, I, I know it's so true that most uh, physicians, when they graduate, they, they, they prefer to have security of Working for you know a, a large organization, which I did for many years. It's great, you know. I worked for an academic institution for many years, um, and uh, when I um, when I came to Hawaii uh, in two thousand nine, um, uh, we came to retire. Really, you know, I I had no. Uh, I may have shared the story with you. I, I had no intention of doing practice or anything. What you're seeing now, you know, I me and my wife came here to to really slow down and retire. We had a very successful academic career and my wife was a real estate uh, agent. Um, but uh, I, I had, um, when we came, we I had a locum with Kaiser for three months, which mm-hmm. I, I, I really enjoy doing. Um, but I got out real quick. I, I just wanted to have the freedom, you know. Um, and also, I re- there was a huge need for, uh, neurology services on the island, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, our hearts is, um, you know, there was not, patients could get care on the windward side, that's where we started, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, my wife, she she really loved being on the windward side, you know, uh, from Utah girl, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and she said, can we do something in the windward side? I said, no, there's nothing to do here, Everybody goes to town for neurology care. She said, "Go ahead and talk to the hospital." I said, "Okay, fine." You know, and we went to talk to the um, uh, CEO of a hospital, Kevin Roberts at that time, and he said, "Well, it's not going to work out. In fifty years' history, is um, nobody has ever succeeded doing neurology full time on the Windward side. Like, Pro- probably better off." doing neurology on Honolulu uh, site and something part-time here, you know, so. But if you really have to do neurology, go and talk to this neurologist who's doing part-time here. So, uh, we went to talk to this neurologist part-time, um, and before going, uh, we just kind of try to wear our options on what to do, and, um, you know, we said a prayer, and and uh, it, was, uh, it was a very kind of odd you know uh, answer to the prayer is like you just got to do whatever nobody else is doing you know so mm-hmm. so I was wondering you know what does that mean and when I want to talk to the neurologist he just said, don't come to winward it's not gonna work you know nobody else has ever done this you know um, I was and he said but he did say that if you're gonna start a practice here uh, you know be sure not to see the quest patient I don't know what quest was you know I was and do not see Medicaid, do not see aloha and ohana, and you wouldn't survive doing a practice, Mm -hmm. you know. So that was my answer to starting a practice. I went back to my wife and said, Michelle, I said, I guess that's what we're supposed to do in Hawaii. We're supposed to see this patient that nobody else wants to see. Mm -hmm. So that's how we started our practice.
0: Wow, that's really inspiring. So you you saw all the Quest patients and the Medicare and the Medicaid and all those...
1: It's very hard, wow. yeah, it was very hard, and and we were, there were days when we we were sure that we were not going to survive, There's many times, let's pack up and go home, <laughs> many times, but we, but I have to say that uh, Hawaii community is so good and kind to us, yeah. they were so, uh, they knew that we were here to stay, uh, they knew that, so we just put some life savings out to, to do that, and mm. uh, it was very hard, uh, but... The hospital was amazing, the, the community was just amazing. They came and supported us and uh, here we are today. Yeah, you know, I mean, fifty employees. Yeah, fifty uh,
0: employees, ten I have no neurologists. idea how
1: we did it. I doing a terrible job trying to no. retire and uh, I have to give credit to God. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so you, you mentioned uh, you know, coming here and seeing the need for a neurologist in Hawaii, do you still see that need here? Uh, huge. Right now? Huge need, yeah, okay. uh,
1: especially on, uh, I have to say, especially on the neighbor islands, mm-hmm. you know, uh, big islands especially, uh, in a typical year, we see 26,000 patient visits, about 10% of them come from the neighbor islands, mm-hmm. and we're talking about uh, patients with stroke, with Parkinson's, who comes in a wheelchair, whose family members take the day off to come, you know, I have patients from uh, big island, from Ocean City that, have to wake up four thirty in the morning drive to Kona to get here sometimes oh you would goodness. have a seizure in the airport you know wow. uh, so we have decided that uh, that was the right thing to do so we started sending one of our providers to big island once a week this year yeah. uh, so that's one of the big needs out of the islands um, mm-hmm. you know I mean although the patient can travel but it is not ideal for them, so we we're gonna go to them. Mm-hmm. The second areas is the west side, you know, mm-hmm. uh, on the Waianae coast. Uh, there was huge need, you know. So we have also started this year uh, our third location uh, in West Oahu, you know, and uh, so we have a full-time provider there now. Um, and hopefully, we're serving our needs. We get to serve the needs. Mm-hmm. We want to go places where nobody else wants to go.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. That's, that's we're really crazy. Inspiring. <laughs> Yeah, so um, how has the field of neurology changed in your career so far? It is really exciting
1: because um, 25 years ago, when I went into neurology, a lot of it is making the diagnosis and sorry, you have a stroke, sorry, you have this, you know, um, go home and talk with the family, accept the diagnosis, this is going to get worse. But these days, uh, neurology changed, I believe, in two ways. Number one is uh, technology changed things a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, we have uh, devices, we have a lot of deep brain stimulation, uh, vagal nerve stimulation, you know, responsive neurostimulator that uh, we're leveraging devices to, uh, to interrupt neural pathway. Uh, we, uh, neuromodulation, neurostimulation, I think that really changed neurology. The second way is uh, neurology is becoming, merging with interventional a lot. Uh, we never used to having treatment for stroke when I was in training, but now we could, we could give TPA, we could clot buster, we go in and retrieve clot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, So it is really an exciting field, and, and uh, we, are, uh, we, we don't have an answer. To me, the most challenging question in neurology is Alzheimer's, You know, mm-hmm. so that's where I'm spending most of my time. Uh, um you know seeking after those projects uh, we don't have a cure we, we but we have really exciting things that's going on so um i i am hoping that within maybe 10 to 20 years we could potentially find a cure but who knows you know so there's so much going on uh, so much needs to be done i hope
0: more students will go into neurology we need you
1: <laughs>
0: yeah Well, I mean, like HPN, they do so much research, so it's really contributing to this forward movement in the neurology field, and I think that's really cool. Um, And since we're talking about change, I was wondering if you could share something uh, brief about how COVID has changed your practice here uh, um, at HPN. Yeah,
1: thank you for asking that. Uh, COVID has, uh, I know that it has affected many, many practices and uh, both financially and um, so, uh, obviously, the lockdown and everything um, uh, affected our practice as well. Uh, but luckily, uh, we we adopted telehealth very early. Uh, you know, as soon as uh, on day number three after lockdown, our team was up and got telehealth working. Mm-hmm. Um, so, our patient volume was down dramatically. But as an organization, as a company, we have remain committed not to lay anyone off, not to furlough anyone. Um, So we have just repurposed some of our employees. For example, the research patients stopped coming, so we just took the research team and repurposed them and said that you're now the telehealth team. Mm. You're going to work on telehealth, you know. um, And uh, I have to say that, uh, you know, by God's grace, um, we did not have to lay off a single employee. I know that many people are, are sort of struggling and we feel for them, we, we really do, but uh, I, I have to say that we, 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 are, we are just so grateful we did not have to lay off a single employee and everybody is on full-time still, you know. Uh, it was a challenge, but mm-hmm. uh, thankfully, uh, my wife and me came into this practice with no debt in our life, mm-hmm. with no debt in the business, you know, um, and we were able to pour our life savings uh, into it, and uh, to make the practice foundationally strong. So uh, we're very grateful.
0: Awesome. Well, just uh, to wrap this all up, I have two last questions for you. One is, what advice would you give to a pre-med student or a medical student who's interested in neurology? Yeah. And also, what advice would you give to your past self if you could, you know, talk to your 25-year-old self, what would okay. you tell them? So either advice to a pre-med student or a med student yep. or advice to yourself. So, uh, so like I mentioned,
1: uh, I, I usually try not to persuade them uh, in one way or another, whether, you know, if they're interested in neuroscience, you know, um, you kind of know, mm-hmm. you know, if you're, if you like people, not to say that the surgeons don't like people uh if, if you if you like people you like talking to them you like interacting with them um and you've got a knack for figuring complex things out you, you 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 kind of gravitate towards problems that everybody runs away from mm-hmm. you know uh i think you could make a good neurologist you know um and neurology is so fun it's so interesting it's so it's so exciting, it's so stimulating. My only question is, why wouldn't you do neurology? You know, I, 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 I it, is, it is so gratifying, and I, I, I tend not to persuade people because I think it's really important the pre-med and the medical student realize that if they go into a specialty that doesn't fit their personality, doesn't fit their, uh, their passion, mm-hmm. they would be miserable for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm because I can tell you that if you like doing neurology, if you're passionate about it, it doesn't feel like walking every day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I wake up this morning, wondering, excited about coming in to screen my patient for posiphan, um, Alzheimer's study. I, mm-hmm. I, I came in and talked with her. She's a school teacher from Kanye Ohe. I'm mm-hmm. telling her, you're the sixth patient in the world receiving this drug. You know, I mean, how exciting could this be? Right. What a privilege. You know, so I I tend to tell the students, you know, um, just do something you like to do, Mm -hmm. and it will never feel like you have to go to work, you know. And then when you get paid, you get salaries. Oh, my gosh, I get paid for doing what I like? (laughs) This is just too good to be true. I would have done this for free, you know. So uh, what would I tell myself 25 years ago? Um, I would probably say to myself... um, don't stress out about the destination. Mm. You know, uh, Don't stress out about what specialty you're going to go, you choose. What kind of private practice, academics? Who do you work for? Where do you want to work, Hawaii or mainland? Where do I do my residency? Don't stress out about that. Because the destination is usually not as important as the journey itself. Mm because we all stressed out about what am I going to become in four years time your Mm -hmm. second year now you're gonna work oh my gosh I only got three years (laughs) to decide what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life Mm
0: -hmm.
1: don't worry about it I'll tell you why you know um, because just myself personally every step of my life you know uh, Uh, a a Malaysian boy getting a scholarship to go to medical school in Grenada, you know, a Mm -hmm. President Reagan scholarship. Uh, I get to, somebody at University of Utah gave me a chance to do research. Mm -hmm. You know, I I really never deserve it. You know, uh, somebody at NIH uh, inspired me to do research. Mm -hmm. Every step of your, of your life, your way, uh, I believe um, has been predestined in some ways you know you have been given everything that you need to really succeed you know so so if I being a foreign grad with no connections anything can can do what I do and can you imagine what you can do what the Riley and what the Roy can do I mean you guys are going to go so much further than me you know I mean so don't stress out about the destination live in a moment mm-hmm. you are second year just do the best that you can for second year don't worry about third year don't worry about residency you're in third year you are in ob rotation or rotation that you really don't like or whatever still do your best still be the best mm-hmm. medical student that you can you know or even if you don't like neurology you know you come you have to do this CSP with Dr. Liao and he goes through this neuroanatomy pathway, it's so boring, but still do the best, Mm -hmm. whatever that you do, do your best, you know, because I always believe that, uh, uh, and I'm gonna end with my faith, because that plays a big role in my life, um, in Ephesians 2.10. We're all uh, uh, God's handiwork, you know, Uh, we all created to do good works. You and Z, Royce and Riley, you were created you were predestined to be, to contribute, to make amazing positive contribution to the to humankind, to not just your community, humankind, you know. And um, we're all God's handiwork um, created to do good works uh, that has been, been prepared in advance. You know, God always gives us, every step of the way, God gave me what I need at that moment. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have to worry about what I need three years from now so don't worry about the destination live in a moment enjoy the journey just do the best where you are right now
0: awesome thanks so much thanks so much for sharing your story all right that's all we have for you folks thank you dr Liao, so much for sharing your journey and wisdom with us today we were all very inspired by the passion that you have to serve Hawaii's community especially those who might have lack of access to health care And uh, we just want to thank you so much for your service to the community and to our patients, but also for inspiring us and really helping us along with this journey. All right, now for some big news. You guys ready for this? We are so excited to share this with you over here at Docs Talk Story. Uh, But right now we have launched merch. Yeah, that's right. We got two different kinds of stickers now. And these are awesome stickers. They are waterproof they are vinyl, they are scratch resistant, they are heat resistant. You can put them on your computers, you can put them on your water bottles, you can put them on your laptops, on your phones, and you can carry us wherever you go. And these stickers, they are 350 dollars each. If you buy three of them, they're nine bucks. And so be on the lookout for an order form in your email. You can also email us at docstalkstory at gmail.com to inquire about the order form or also visit our website. They are limited edition. We've only got a select number of them, so get them before they sell out. And so we just want to thank you for your continued support, and we really could not have done this without you. And, and, and on behalf of all of our guests, I just want to thank you so much for supporting them and their stories and really just listening to, to all of their experiences and their wisdoms that they can share to us as medical students and as we really enter the medical field. All right, well, that's all we have for you with this episode. This was episode five of Docs Talk Story with Dr. Corey Liao, a neurologist at Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience. Tune in next time as we continue to talk story with our awesome providers here in the islands. And until next time, stay safe and stay healthy and wear your mask.